Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Billion Dollar Movie Club. Today, as always, I am your host, Christmas Simpson, with my co-host, Juan Mehta. Hello, Juan. Hello, hello. How are you today? I'm all right. I'm all right. You're doing all right? You're doing all right? Yeah, we're just chilling. We're vibing. We're chilling. We're vibing. We're finding our way through life as we discuss a film this week, Juan. What film uh, are we uh, I know we're talking about something related to Alice in Wonderland. Is it Alice Ripley, Tony Award winner for the musical Next to Normal? I don't think it's that. Is it the video game by American McGee? I'm excited you mentioned that. <laughs> No, today's episode, we will be discussing Tim Burton's 2010 uh, Disney live-action remake, Alice in Wonderland. So we're not talking about Alice in Chains. It may pop up in conversation. Let's see where we go with this. Because I thought that was weird that uh, we'd be talking about an entire band's discography for an episode about that takes place in a film podcast. Well, you know, we we usually spend half the podcast discussing video games, so I'm sure it's okay to switch to music one of these days. So, Tim Burton's 2010, Alice in Wonderland. For the uninitiated, uh, this film was released on March 5th, 2010. The budget is somewhere between the $150-$210 million range. Couldn't find the official source. Big numbers. Uh, It's opening weekend, domestic gross of $116.1 million, a worldwide uh, weekend gross of $220.1 million. At the that time, seems kind of soft for well, an opening weekend. At the time, it was the highest grossing weekend for a movie not out, uh, outside of the summer slash holiday weekend. The highest grossing right. domestic opening for uh, a non-sequel. Uh, it Just from 3D... I, they really, really stretch some of these <laughs> definitions. Uh, it's 3D uh, opening was $81.3 million which was the largest 3D opening at that time. It spent three straight weeks at number one. Notice a lot of the times I said, at the time. Yes. Uh, and uh, we can break into that later on. A press release from Walt Disney, May 27th, 2010. Disney's Alice in Wonderland reaches exclusive $1 billion global box office club. Tim Burton's epic fantasy adventure, Disney's Alice in Wonderland, reached a historic milestone today, passing the $1 billion mark in global box office. Alice becomes only the sixth title to join this exclusive list and the third most popular non-sequel in motion picture history behind only Titanic and Avatar. Again, non-sequel in quotations, parenthesis, whatever you want to say. Alice began setting records during its opening weekend, became the biggest March opening in industry history, the largest 3D opening weekend ever, biggest career opening for director Tim Burton, and it was Walt Disney Studios' biggest opening for a non-sequel. I'd like to note, $33 million of its total gross came from China. So far, the third best Chinese gross of the films we've discussed so far. Mm Mm-hmm. It ended its domestic run with $334 million, a worldwide total of $1.025 billion, and at the time was the 19th highest grossing domestic film, but fifth highest grossing worldwide, currently sits at number 65 domestic and 43rd worldwide. Pawan, what is your history with... Uh, I, I, there's many avenues you can go with this one. Yeah. What's your history with this film? 
the Alice in the Wonderland Disney property in general, uh, live action Disney remakes in general, etc. I think this is the first big live action remake, isn't it? Uh, of this modern era, yes. I think you could mention like the Glenn Close 101 Dalmatians. Yeah, but I think that's, that's but yeah, outside this, of this. This very much sort set of... the precedent. And what a precedent it set. <laughs> Are you, have you seen this movie before? Uh, I saw it in theaters when it came out. Um, 3D, or, 2D? Pretty sure it was 3D. Mm -hmm. I remember enjoying it at the time, which is also something we could get into a little bit later. But uh, do you have a history with these actors? Um, so uh, main actress Mia Vesikowski. <laughs> question mark Koska. Koska. i apologize mia i, I uh, you'll see the bloopers after this i tried like 80 minutes of trying to learn your name um she's uh i haven't seen anything with her um, i really enjoyed her in in treatment yes i know you're a big she fan was of in the first season of that you're a big fan of that show uh the hbo it's not a miniseries but is it an, it definitely was not a miniseries the is first it season an anthology itself. season miniseries Yes and no, okay. in the sense that, like, so how that show worked is that for each season, there was a set number of patients, and, like, each day of the week was a different patient. So you'd have, like, five episodes per week, and it would be all five of the patients, and then week two would happen, and then you'd meet with them again, hmm. and it would continue their stories. But, like, at the end of each week is the episode where the therapist that you've been watching this entire season goes to his own therapist oh interesting so, so you you have more experience with mia than i do yeah uh, so the thing with in treatment is it's a show that's basically a dramatization of these therapy sessions so it's very much stripped down to like just two characters in a room usually just talking it out so it's very much based on the acting the i mean shot composition a little bit it's it's a lot more actor based than technical based that's always fun and uh she did a very great job in that one interesting i very much enjoyed her role in that um the other major uh, actors i'd say are johnny depp who we kind of covered in the pirates episode which we're going to talk about him more in depth <laughs> Oh, yeah. you took his name, added a little, like he had a lisp, and uh, added new meaning to it. I don't know how I feel about that statement I just said. I mean, it's it's a great explanation of what I did. Um, this is, I believe, the first time we're seeing Helen Bonham Carter and uh, Anne Hathaway in this. Uh, in is it Anne Hathaway? Are, are they in their movies? Uh, yes, yeah, so we'll see Hathaway later in Dark Knight Rises. And oh yeah. Bottom Carter is uh in Harry Potter. Right. Uh who who also uh Alan Rickman does a voice in this film. Um those are actors who filmographies I've never gone deep into, but I always enjoy seeing whenever they're on screen. Um, it seems like Harry Potter seems to be looming a large shadow over this podcast so far. Is it? Other we, than We keep bringing them up it up. I I do like those movies very much. So is is it problematic to like them now? Yes. Am I reckoning with those feelings within myself? Yes. 
Um, Moving on. Uh, I've never seen this film before. And uh, in preparation for this week, I watched the original as well. I don't think I've ever seen that before either. Really? No. So my mom always said I watched a lot of the Disney animated films when I was growing but up. But you don't I, remember them. I yeah. don't remember them. Um, and maybe like the Renaissance films, I'll remember the music. But I totally didn't realize the original Alice was a musical until I watched it. Um, my only experience with Alice was from the hit video game Kingdom Hearts, where it was the first Disney World you visited. Honestly, I I loved the uh, whenever you went to Wonderland in those games. It's very fun, very fun. World. Because you know, we'll get to that in a bit. Okay. Um, and I've seen. I feel like I've seen maybe a half of the live action uh, Disney remakes. Uh, I have seen. Now. I'm pretty sure, just this one, just this and one. the Jungle Book on a plane. Okay. And I, I, I don't want to de- dig too deep into that because we're going to talk about so many of them later on. Yeah. Uh, whether we like to or not. Um, Tim Burton, I'm not... I've seen a couple of his films. I think I've seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory way back when and his original Batman, but that's probably it. Uh, see, when I was growing up, Everyone was talking like, yo, Tim Burton's the best. He's amazing. He's a great stylist. He's this, this, and that. And then, like, the one movie I saw of his actually growing up was Nightmare Before Christmas, which he didn't actually direct. I was going to (laughs) say. But, like, everyone keeps saying that's a Tim Burton movie. Yeah. Which, if anything, it follows his style, but it has more substance than his movies do. As someone who's seen Nightmare Before Christmas once and fell asleep during it, um, I don't know if I agree with that statement. Because, like, I remember in my, like, early to mid-teens, I went back and watched more of his films. Like, uh, so I like the aesthetics in Corpse Bride, but it just feels like a weaker version of Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay. Uh, I saw Mars Attacks. No, don't. Is that him? It 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 was. I'll be honest. Not even sure what that movie is about. Don't don't bother with that one. Okay, if you say so. And uh, that's about my that that's my experience with him. But uh, from my understanding, the so movies like Beetlejuice, from my understanding, have more of a reputation and memory more so to do with the wider franchise around it that like helped keep it up in terms of like the TV show, the animated show and all that more so than the original movie itself. But yeah, that's my experience with Burton Mm -hmm. and this movie. Of course I saw that when I was like 12, 12, 12, 12, 12. This is me trying to figure out what's the next step of this podcast. I believe the next step uh, let's talk about this movie. Talk about this movie. Hold on, what happens in this film? Uh, so Alice, uh, she's supposed to be betrothed to this rather foppish man. Foppish? Great yes. vocabulary word. And uh, she's like, no, no, no. I'm not going to do that. And she just uh, fucks off into a hole after following a rabbit. <laughs> yeah. And, and then... She Fantastic. follows the destiny 
which leads her to kill a dragon. Uh, oh, okay. We're going to discuss that. That that's what I'm gonna say. We're gonna, we're gonna discuss that in a second. <laughs> um, w- what is your initial thoughts after this rewatch of the film? One, I understand why I liked it at the time. And two, this felt longer than Avatar. <laughs> now, may I rewind one second because I remember a memory I had about this movie mm-hmm. in my past, and then we'll get back to this. So probably late 2010 maybe early 2011 i'm in the back of my uncle and aunt's car okay they they had one of those vans that you know the screen used to come down and you could play a dvd in the car and so they played alice in wonderland because their kids were there me and my cousins whatever and i remember the beginning and me not wanting to pay attention and that's it back to uh, uh our feelings about this movie so you said that you liked it way back when. Yes. This time it felt longer than Avatar. Yes. Uh, and I know why I liked it back then. Hmm. See, this movie falls into a bit of a middle ground that's just not fun going back to watch it as an adult. Hmm. So the joy of going back to children's stuff as an adult is to experience that whimsy and that like unbridled imagination Mm. whereas with this movie it tried to be dark but tried to be still kid friendly Mm -hmm. so it's it doesn't have the depth that you'd expect you'd want from something that's trying to delve into darker material as an adult Mm -hmm. but as a kid it's like whoa this is interesting this is deep but like it's it's not there as an adult I uh I I agree with those sentiments. I this is mm, the first film we are uh, discussing where I did not like straight up did not like it. Um, I I was shocked that it wasn't a straight adaptation of the animated film in the way that the later Disney remakes are. Well, and... at first it was it wasn't though because like um. No, what yeah, it was, was after uh, this. It was Maleficent, which was more like a prequel. Yeah, which, uh, 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 yeah, I, I just that just didn't occur to me about this movie having never seen it, and um, and this uh, one, it's not really on the tin. Like, it doesn't say it outright at any point. But this is script wise, it feels like it was written as a sequel to yeah, the original. It movie. totally feels like a sequel because later on, they're like, "Oh, all those events in the first in the animated movie happened to me." Yeah. Um, and I was shocked that it was a dark, gritty approach to this fun, whimsical, flashy, celebratory, colorful film. It yeah, seemed... it feels like it's literally just r- taking all the great aspects of the original and just being like, that no longer exists because we're going for a gritty route. Yeah. I thought it was if you took Alice in Wonderland and tried to make it Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Very very much so, especially with all the action, which I would never put with an Alice in Wonderland franchise. I don't know if there was that much, but like you ha- it you feels have... like it was building up to it a lot more. Yes. Well, you have the chase with that weird cat thing in the beginning. And then you have the the, the grand battle, which was not grand at all. Honestly, this feels like 
script wise the prototype for the types of movies we're going to see from here on out in terms of the big budget action movies um may i bring up some one uh factor about the the writer of this film mm-hmm. so this film is written by linda wolverton does that name ring a bell no it does not so she uh she was the first woman to have written on an animated disney film she helped write beat and the beast uh, lion king aladdin etc uh she did the broadway adaptation of beauty and the beast the book for that and she wrote the live action alice in wonderland's alice through the looking glass and the two maleficents with alice in wonderland uh it is the only film to cross the billion dollar mark to have one sole female writer, which is an interesting uh, little tidbit, which I'm kind of sad that 10 years since, no other film has joined that distinction. Hollywood, 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 we're looking at you. But uh, yeah, I was not, I, one of my big issues with this film was uh mia and we it really feels like she was miscast yes so we discussed last week with avatar how and i'm blanking on the main dude's name um, jake sully the actor's name though oh i I don't know about that wow (laughs) um wow this is uh Sam Worthington. There we go. There you go. And this is exactly what I'm going with. We were discussing how he was kind of a blank canvas, as if that was meant to be the uh, audience's lens into the world. This film, she's sort of that as you enter, but there's no charm to her. And See, she's very The way I soft. think it went is that they saw her performance in Jane Eyre. Because she was in a like version of Jane Eyre before this, and it was like, yeah, we want a, a performance like that for our movie. But they forgot the fact that you know Jane Eyre is very much a grounded, realistic story, whereas this one, it's you can't give the same type of performance. But I don't think because with this one, if it really felt like she was going for that British uh, sort of uh, aristocratic. But like, but you could do that and have yeah. some personality to it. I think uh, Keira Knightley does like, that in the Pirates movies. Yeah, but the thing is, it felt like she was going for a more nuanced thing with this, but the script just wasn't there for it. I found it to be very wooden from her. Yeah, but like, it, she, in terms her, of like, she was going for that more, like where the script would have had more stuff to work with, but this movie just doesn't have that. But just on a performance level, she I mean, has this, at the end of the day, yeah, it comes down to a one performance. She but has like, this, I'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. Can yeah. you let me do that? Uh, well, I just, <laughs> I just, she has this like breathiness to her and a softness that, first off, I'm like, okay, she's supposed to gain confidence as it, the story moves along. Okay, I can believe that at first, but she doesn't seem any different from the end from the first. It doesn't feel like there is an arc. Like, Intellectually, I understand there's the arc for the character. I didn't get that from the performance. And that kind of bumped I mean, me out. Was there an arc for the character? She gains confidence and 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 makes choices by the end. 
rather I mean, than being she hesitant. She does that at the beginning too, though. This is also, I found this to be in line with so many of the, of the other movies that we've seen so far, and I didn't realize this was going to be such a common theme. The, uh, the woman who doesn't like the role of women and wants to break free of that. Well, because it's such an easy thing to get like free feminism points. Yes. I just, and it's it's good. To have... What you're telling me they you sh- they shouldn't go after free feminism points? No, <laughs> I, I I think it's a good message to have, especially because this is the first kid friendly one we've seen. So in in uh, a younger girl could see this and be like, oh, I'm gonna start being my own person. I mean, it's Pirates just is kid friendly. Sure, sure, but she's not the focus in that movie. She's, I'd say she's third build in that movie. I mean, she's second build in this one. <laughs> yeah, which is another. So neither of us loved her performance in this in this film. No. Um, uh, another thing I do want to talk about is how Alice in Wonderland works as a story. Okay. So it's very bare bones when you like look at the actual bullet points of how the story goes. It's basically this woman, this girl falls into down a rabbit hole, like down a literal rabbit hole. In fact, I think that's where that metaphor might come from. But like outside of that. May I ask you a question? Are you referring to the original 51 Disney film or Lewis Carroll's books? So I haven't read the book, but I'm assuming that, uh, the movie was semi-faithful and I'm like taking the base elements from that movie where basically this girl falls down a rabbit hole and she just explores this other world where other people are literally directing her where to go from there on. It's a great thing to build off of if you have like a themes or like other elements that you want to tell, but like you need a vehicle to do it. Because it's a it's a great way to show a world. And in a sense that this that's why it's great in Kingdom Hearts as well. Because like it allows it to be whatever as crazy as possible. But in terms of this, it feels like they went for the laziest version of that. Lazy how so? It's like it they're showing a decaying world. But that's partly because of it being a time jump, and but then, like it's also so, so here's, it falls here, into like the grim dark trap for me. Yes, here's my thing with the original, the uh, the animated one, right? Because it's a lot of fun. I have no clue what the heck happens in that movie. There's not really a plot going on. No, I. But like that's the basic Alice in Wonderland story. Like I've read back in high school. Uh, we were looking at a script for this, and we might have we were thinking about doing it for the drama class. But like, I was reading through, it and I'm like, this is literally just Alice walks up to this fantastic creature. They do their thing, and then they're like, "Go over there." <laughs> You're talking about the animated one, right? No, I'm talking about the play script for Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> well, that's that's that's. That's different because it's different writers adapting it differently. No, no, but I mean, like, that is the bare bones story. Sure. And that is also there in that movie. But again, this this one, this one, Tim Burton's one, wanted to ground it. 
So the I thing saw, is, I saw a quote of, of uh, I was reading about the movie. Tim Burton was like, yeah, I've never connected with any of the Alice in Wonderland movie stuff emotionally. So I wanted to try to add some sort of emotion, which I don't know if either of us thinks he, he did it. I don't know. So there's a lot of, uh, there's also a lot of experimental versions of Alice in Wonderland that can give you nightmares. Okay. Which, I don't think he's not. He was. He wasn't going to no, try no. to give you nightmares. I, let me. In terms of like presenting a more grounded or like a different take on it, where instead of having it be fanciful and fun, it does present that darker energy, but it's still creative about it. But I don't think this was going. It feels darker. I don't think it was going for darker. I think it was going for mature, which I think there is very much a difference. Because she is adult. She, I, the movie, okay, start, you, the movie see, starts the off. Is... The movie starts off, and I'm like, she feels like a girl still. And they're like, no, she's 20. Yeah. It, they, they aged it up because they don't want an eight-year-old headlining this giant blockbuster when it's unproven. And... Uh, I don't know. It's 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 you're you're able to have deeper relationships. Uh, I think with an older character. I don't know if that's inherently true. Yeah, as I said that, I was I wanted to cut that out <laughs> because children definitely feel yeah, no. deeply at like the slightest drop of anything. Thank you for calling me out on my bullshit. <laughs> but I, I don't even know how we got here. What were we talking about? Uh, we were talking about how this film is boring. <laughs> well, all right. Well, hold on. So it starts off with the 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 them trying to add history to Alice, which, which was the way that the outside world is presented in this movie feels more outside of the realm of reality than than yeah. the Wonderland. <laughs> it felt so cartoony. And not fun cartoony, which is like, over the top. I get what they were trying to do. It's like, oh, here's this person, but in the real world, with like Tweedledee and Tweedledum being the twin sisters, yeah, and like stuff like that. But it just did not translate well because it still had that dark color grade. Yes, but I think the dark color grade is to reflect the is is when they start doing the more color is in Wonderland. Kind of a Wizard of Oz, black and white to color type thing. It's it still tough. wasn't even any yes. much color in Wonderland. So yeah, that's what I wanted to bring up with. As we switch to Wonderland, you get reds and yellows and blues and greens or whatever, but they are darker shades of those colors, and so they stick out. But they aren't the wondrous land that we want when you think live action Alice in Wonderland. And you get a there's like a flashback. In the middle of the movie where you get the slightest hint of it. And it's like I wish we got to see more of that. Because this isn't. Alice, like. If you told me you were doing. Um, I don't know. Uh, uh, Lion King. But it's going to be 500 years in the future. All their land has been built over with. Metropolis urban cities. Then it would become Wonderland. In this movie. No, I'm just saying, like, you replace the main setting of the film you're basing it off of. Yeah. And it's not what you want. And 
the characters are connected now in a way they weren't in the original? So the thing that gets me about that quote you just gave about Tim Burton. Yes. Is that I get the sense that he didn't understand why these movies, why the story connected with people. Uh, let's also point out he didn't write this one. That's that's fair, but like color grading that stuff, that's his decision at the end of the day. Yes. I also wonder if the we talked about Avatar having darker uh, CGI moments. Is there a possibility part of that is the technology at the moment? I would I don't have preferred want... if they tried and failed, honestly. Sure. Sure. I don't think Disney would have preferred that. But no, I I, I I think I agree as well. Because like the Cheshire Cat, who was really fun and like fanciful colors in the original, it looks so boring here. I liked him more than some of the other characters in this film. So let's 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 go into the characters now, right? Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting knowing what I know about the future live-action remakes, that the character designs for the animals felt more cartoony. When nowadays they're going for their realistic animals. You look at your Lion Kings. In Aladdin, Iago's like this evil-looking phoenix, not Gilbert Gottfried anymore. And there's still that essence of the Disney animation uh, CGI to these designs, which I, I, I enjoyed it. Never blended 100% when you see them next to a live-action person. Mm-hmm. But I liked these character designs more than, say, Beauty and the Beast, where I still don't know where Cogsworth and Lumiere's faces are. <laughs> so, I didn't see those movies. Okay. I saw this one. <laughs> okay. Did you like the design? You didn't like the designs of these? Again, it's... The whole idea that like these reboots are live action and like this is supposed to be the respectable version of these stories, which I just, don't think like, that's the w- respectable is the word. It feels like they're trying to make these stories more grown up, at least. Mm, sure, sure. So like but this it, isn't it, your it, kids, it, Alice in Wonderland. But don't you, when it was uh, I don't know how how often you've gone back to some of the older classic Disney movies, but I'll I'll watch them. I'm like, oh, these are very fairy tale-y. It's very simple. There's not much dimension to Belle and Beauty and the Beast or or Ariel. Is, or... I don't think there needs to be. You're right. You're right. And like that's where these movies get tripped up as well, but. Would we? Would we I'm judge? I'm also talking about a lot of movies I haven't seen. Would we judge a, ju- a live action movie if their characters are that simple, though? I don't think so. You don't think? I so? didn't judge Ab- Avatar for that very reason. Oh, you I did. did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> so I don't. I don't know if that's how we. How we? How would you change this? Um. Uh, I do think. I, although I didn't like that it was such a dark palette compared to the animated film. There were moments where it looked gorgeous and the designs of the sets and all the stuff. Uh, there was a moment where it, uh, it's uh, Alice next to the queen as Mad Hatter walks into the, the court, I guess. And it's just kind of with them and the background behind it looked gorgeous. Um, I'll be honest. 
when I think about this movie that I literally rewatched today, mm. the only landscape I remember is just gloomy skies. Did you never? I liked the look of the battleground. I don't think it fit the film, but I liked the look of it. I think this. So it felt. So going back to your th the thing you brought up earlier, it felt like one the chess aesthetic didn't make sense. That was totally random. Uh, and then the broken buildings reminded me a lot of the Lord of the Rings that uh that broken building at the top of the hill where like Gandalf was fighting off all those uh. What were they called? This is the final one, right? The final Lord of the Rings? No, 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 no. It was in like one or two. On the when the eagle comes to pick him up? Yes. That's one, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Where like the all the people in the black hood. Mm. I would whatever. It. Anyways. <laughs> uh but yeah, that that it reminded me a lot of Lord of the Rings on top of a chessboard. Yeah. For some reason, but here's I think this Which, this film had a lot of good elements that just didn't mesh well. Which again feels like Tim Burton's whole thing. I can't uh, speak to that, but you have this uh, strong feeling about it. I see. Yeah, it feels. So I, I liked it. I and I, I do want to. I do want to mention nominated for three Oscars. Uh, it lost visual effects. Uh, the team being Ken Ralston, David Schraub, Carrie Villig. What did it lose to? Um, twenty ten would have been Inception. Which you're not gonna fight with those. It did win Best Art Direction, Robert Stromberg and Karen O'Hara, and Best Costume Design for Colleen Atwood. I did want to bring those up. So, speaking of the chess thing, I think that ties into why it was the red and white queen. Maybe. Oh, like, yeah. It makes a little bit more sense, but like... Wait, I've never played a game of chess where you have the red and the white pieces. It's always well, been the black idea and white. Is it's white and colored. That's stretching it. No, no, because it's like either black or wood, usually. Yeah. And, like, it's whatever other color. But the animated film has cards that are red and black. Because yeah, those are how cards work. That's the thing that pissed me off. I just, that, it should I have been the right red now. queen and the black queen. Yeah, just But no, we needed all the whitest of the white people here. I also don't understand... We needed Queen Latifah can... to have Anne Hathaway's role. <laughs> that would have been fun. <laughs> I also don't understand where Anne Hathaway's character comes from if this is following the original. <laughs> Which I, I actually didn't mind. I, I had fun with Anne Hathaway's hippie queen. But, but like, aesthetically, her character doesn't make sense that she should exist. No. <laughs> but so much of it... Hey, nothing's impossible if no, no. something something. Honestly, that's the one thing that irked me the most for some reason. The fact that like the cards were red. So it's like, oh, they're going off of like the faces. Like, you know, there's the there's like the faces that are red and the faces that are black. 
but it's like no red and white that that irked me <laughs> was there ever an explanation to no it's just to white either of them good. in general not even not even the colors like any of them we never got red, of, red of hearts yeah i mean it doesn't need a large backstory it just needs that connection okay but like white why is it white because white is good I think that's what it amounts to. That probably is the closest, especially with all the dark landscapes. That's the contrast to that. Which let's, I mean, there's implications to that that are uh, murky. There are. There are. Which also does not make me more inclined to like this movie. Again, neither of us liked this movie. Um, I did like. I thought Helena Bonham, Bonham Carter was the best part of this movie. I thought she, she knew the movie me. she was in. really. The way she kept saying "off" with her head, I was like, you know what? I get it. All right, you you don't need to keep beating this dead horse. I get it. You want to kill the horse? Just do it already. It's because she's a child. She has one thing she can do. It 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 it's so you know. There's hold on. Okay. Are you telling me if a leader no, let me in power... explain this. Let me explain this. So the creator of SpongeBob, Steven Hillenburg, uh, he said mm-hmm. that he wanted the uh, opening song to be something that's so like in your face and obnoxious that it would uh, like aggravate adults. Okay. That's what her performance felt like, and it made me feel like I was eighty year old. She's I was an eighty year old being like. Turn that shit off. She is a child in this position. She it reminded me of the more fun parts of Olivia Coleman in the favorite. So or the thing is Celia Meyer in, in Veep. The thing is, this is where the s- simplicity of the script also ruins it for me. Because it's so repetitive. And like it's not fun for me. It's not interesting. I just can't enjoy it. I and- thought. I felt like I was almost getting a headache from it. I thought she was the only person who knew she was in a remake of a cartoon and was going for that energy and that vibe. See, I feel like that might be part of the reason why it soured on her performance, especially felt sour for me, even though she was doing her job Hmm. in terms of knowing the film she was in. Literally everything else involved with it didn't. So... (laughs) That's yeah, it clashes. <laughs> but she was she was my personal favorite part of the film. Um, Johnny Depp was in the movie. I don't See, feel strongly. It gets into way my it. Johnny Depp hatred. <laughs> How can we it's skip not... this last episode? Last pirates, you go on. Because like in the pirates, they found a way to make it work for the movie. Mm. In this one. It's a lot. So my problem with Johnny Depp is that he doesn't act. He isn't an actor who is generous in terms of acting with them. When you're acting with Johnny Depp, you're being acted at. That's I, how it feels when I watch those watch those scenes with Johnny Depp. I disagree from the Depp stuff I've seen, but go on. But like in this movie as well, which again, there is a bit of masking going on in terms of the majority of the movie feels this way Hmm. because it's like most people are telling you need to go here or do this thing still 
like that is still what's driving the plot along the MacGuffins, the the quests you have to do to to move along yeah in terms of like destiny and like you have to do this go here do that and stuff like that is it destiny because they're like hey you have to choose and want to do this yeah but the idea is that the the oracle like scroll diff deigned it to be but and that's that's uh, just another problem i had with this movie is just like the whole time she's like oh, am i alice am i not alice is this a dream is this not a dream it was so wishy-washy with everything and it, there was no real build to anything but i think it's supposed to say she chose to fight at the end sure but again it's okay now we're getting into a philosophical topic of free will <laughs> i guess you're right you're right we can we can excite you're talking like, about giant up it could be argued that like oh the or the scroll like yeah she had the free will to do that herself but the oracle knew that she would decide to do it but and again that idea felt more like a formality when it came up in the movie even when like Anne Hathaway's character, the White Queen, was like, you know, you don't have to do it. You could decide not to. It felt more like, you know, I'm not gonna say you should do it, but you should. But is not the the film's thesis, if you will, the scene with her and Alan Wickman's uh, caterpillar, as he's going into the cocoon, and he's basically saying, "Hey, sometimes we need to change, and change is good." Is that the point of the movie? I, I don't so. know. <laughs> I think so, because she comes back, and that's that's the one thing she's that makes her different from the beginning. She was hesitant because she was following all the 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 norms, and then she's like, "No, I, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to stop these norms." You know what? I want to talk about the White Queen also for a second. Come on, we we were in the middle of Johnny Depp, so when you want to get back to Johnny Depp, we can go back there. I mean, I feel like I said the majority of my points in terms of that, but... And as my rebuttal, I think he makes very large choices. Whether it works in the film is a different is a different call, but I, he, he, he goes for it with each character I've seen him do, and I've enjoyed his work. Go on. Anne Hathaway's White Queen. So she says at one point, it is against my vow to harm any living creature. <laughs> Which, as a child... It's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's why she's not doing it herself. Why did she make a vow? <laughs> That's one. Two. That doesn't mean much when you're literally telling someone else to go do it for you. Yeah. <laughs> yep, you're right. <laughs> you're, you're right. <laughs> Again, if it's not obvious, neither of us really liked this movie. <laughs> And now another thing about the themes that I want to talk about. Mm. The Vorpal Sword and its treatment in this film. There is a point where uh, I think I don't remember which character says it but they, they say the Vorpal Sword knows what it wants. Just hold it and it'll do its thing. I think that was um, uh, Mad Hatter. When she was like, I'm going to fight with the sword. And he was like, no, you shouldn't fight with the sword. You're not supposed to. And then the Jabberwocky, hmm. when it shows up, is like, oh, once again, I meet my nemesis. 
And then Alice is like, says whatever. And then Jabberwock, he's like, not you, the sword. Wait, so I'm, I'm still confused. So did she fight him in the first time she went to Wonderland? No, no, no. The Jabberwocky does not care about Alice at all. It's literally the sword is the nemesis. That's so dumb. <laughs> Which means... To... Is Alice the tool? <laughs> Maybe. Why did they need challengers when they had the entire armies <laughs> fighting? <laughs> like... But, like, is Alice the tool? Or if so, like, is... So confused in regards to that because that is an interesting, like, philosophical idea that could have been delved into in terms of these destinies are decided by these objects, and that's why the destiny is set in stone because objects don't make decisions. And, like, by putting all this weight on those objects, um, it's just about how you interact with it that creates that grander message. Mm. Which means it's not you who's important. <laughs> it's the sword. Can you tell I'm trying to wrap my head around what you just said? <laughs> Again, it's, it's a very interesting and deep idea that this movie is definitely not... Uh, equipped to explore well no but it's the only thing i could really glomp onto in terms of an idea worth delving into no i don't think it's trying to question that at all it's not i don't think it's I intentional think they, i think they but wanted like, that's cool... some, an interesting idea that i had from watching this i think they wanted the the, the dragon to have a cool line no, is no, it like, cool? I don't know, but that that might have been the point. But like, this is where my mind went to while I was watching this movie to sure. try to get something out of it. When you're not caring about the thing in front of you, your mind wanders to so many places. But I feel like this is also an interesting idea that could be fleshed out. Who knows? Maybe I'll write a story about it. Maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's delved into in Alice through the Looking Glass. Which I'm not. I'm not which, watching that. I'm not watching. Uh, that. I, I don't need to watch that. I'm not watching. That. I think notable first for this uh, the podcast is the first film whose sequel complete and total flop. Really? Um. So uh, let me pull it up right here. Alice in Wonderland made I think it was 334 million domestically. Alice through the look through the looking glass made two hundred ninety nine point five million worldwide. So, how much of that do you think is tied to how long they waited between movies? I think very much so. I because I obviously we, neither of us liked this movie. I think the general consensus is that it's not very popular. Uh, I was reading something that at the time it had fifty percent Rotten Tomatoes, which take as you will. Um, that means half the people liked it, half the people didn't like it. If you look, this made a billion dollars. The next one they do is Maleficent in 2014, made about 700 million. Jungle Book made about 900 million. And you don't hit a billion again with these live action movies till um, Beauty and the Beast. And even, even in between, then you have stuff like Pete's Dragon. So I think oh, yeah. the quality of this film really struck everything after. I think this film made a billion dollars because it was the first 
big spectacle CGI after Avatar in 3D. And everyone was excited about that. I could see that. And um, it is a spectacle. Does it hold up? I don't think either of us believes it holds up, but all the colors, all the the fantastic sights, the the, the transformations. Again, I don't think it holds up. Again, but you can see how something like, like that will grab an audience. If I was my age, looking at that trailer as it initially came out, I don't know if I would have been drawn in. Because again... You say there's a lot of colors, but it's still so drab. But again, you said you saw it in theaters in 3D. When I was 12. And you liked it. When I was... Again, that's why I'm saying me now going back. Yes. Obviously, 12-year-olds aren't what drove this to a billion dollars. No. But there was also the... The magic of, hey, this Disney movie I'm seeing is live action. We haven't seen this since Glenn Close did Cruella de Vil. Like, there's a, there was a lot that you could sell your, your average Joe on for this movie. I guess. Especially three months after Avatar, no big blockbuster in between. So there was, a, there was enough time that people are ready to watch another movie. Yeah. Let me see what other notes I had in regards to this. What the oh, heck yeah. was with Johnny Depp's Scottish accent? <laughs> when he went Okay, let's series. get back to Johnny Depp. <laughs> what the frick? See, that's the thing. It felt like a lot of just affectations upon affectations. That's what he does. This film, because I feel like everyone says he's always Jack Sparrow after Jack Sparrow. I don't think this is anything like Jack Sparrow except that is eccentric. It's a lot it softer. Does, Yes. But also, it, again, feels like... At times, it feels eccentric for the sake of being eccentric because he's called the Mad Hatter. I'm trying to remember what the specific, like, acting dichotomy was, where it was, like, presentational versus representational acting. Something like that. I'm not sure. Does that ring a bell? I'm not sure. Um, Damn it, I don't remember the specifics of that too enough to delve into. But the idea is that, like, he's like, I am this character. This is who I am. And, like, yes, you'll say your line, but that does not impact the way I say mine at all. It really like felt that way. That's tough to say on a movie when you could be doing your take and your scene partner could just be a random person saying the line. A line reader and not the other actor that's tough to say when there's different takes and you pick the right take i think but that then again you could question that i more feel like the theater than no, no no but like that also it happens so much more with johnny depp than any other actor i've seen in movies again i think he just makes these giant choices and then when you get someone like mia's performance is so nothing in this movie it overpowers it when most of the Human on human scenes are the two of them. And can we take a moment to talk about the weird intimacy between the two characters? Why no. did she grab his face? <laughs> she grabbed it, she cupped his face with both her hands and told him about the weird impossible thingy. And at the end, there's this intimacy between them too. And I'm like, they're gonna get I don't want this. To, what's going on? 
So I didn't take it in a romantic sense. I didn't either, but I was afraid it was about to. It really read like more like she was uh, passing down the advice her father gave to her in a very similar manner. Sure. It just seemed like such a big jump for her to grab her cup his face like this. They're basically strangers. She doesn't know him. He may know her. She doesn't know him. Hmm. I mean, that's another thing that's intentional. Intentions are murky in terms of what was meant to be. I I have a I have a question for you. Across. Yes. So it's a stipulation. I think that's the word I'm looking for. Um I know it's stupid. This film was nominated at the Golden Globes for uh, Best Actor Musical Comedy and Best Motion Picture Musical Comedy. Uh, did you ever laugh during this movie? <laughs> I think I chuckled like once at uh, something Helena Bonham Carter said. No. This isn't a fun movie at all. It, it is not. And I, I, I thought the first like two thirds, I was like, okay, it's kind of bland, but I don't hate it. And then that the final act where it tries to be an action movie just pissed me off. I was like, nope, no. But way. you know what I find funny? Go on. This is the first movie that was targeted at kids with a dance sequence at the end. I hated, that. <laughs> I hated that. <laughs> I've added musical moments to some of our films in the past. I hated it. They build it up. I mentioned it like three times throughout the movie. It's literally like 30 seconds after the battle ends. He does it. It feels like it goes on forever. Well, and then she does it in the real world. Masinson, it's like, you know how football players, they do their end zone dance once they like get that touchdown as like a victory. That's what Johnny Depp was doing. That was just oh, that's man. what the Mad Hatter was doing. That's such a weird out of place idea. And it when she does it at the end, that was when I'm like, yeah, this movie is a piece of shit. Speaking of that, that's where that's the uh, thing what that makes me think, no, she did actually make decisions before because she chose not to wear like the tights and like the prissy shoes and all that. She made that decision at the beginning of the movie. But with other people, she didn't make decisions. She caught her brother-in-law cheating on her sister, and she was hesitant to say and anything about it. Technically, she didn't make a decision on no, that in she, the end either. No, she let him. <laughs> she just warned him to not do it again. She chose to not tell her sister, which, but in a sense, know. that's just pu pushing the buck off later. Yeah. That is non-action. Yeah. <laughs> well, she turns down the dude. She, which pissed me off, she went to the aunt, it was like, let go of your delusions, when she just spent like three nights in Wonderland. See, that's the other thing. Was it three nights in the real world? I thought it was like well, no, no, I think an it was hour nights, later. I think it was like three nights in Wonderland right away back in the real world. But she was in Wonderland because she comes back with the scars on her arm, which no one asks her about. No, they were like, oh, geez, what happened to you? And then she's like, I bumped my head no, no, in but, a hole. But they, you don't see her scars when she first comes out of the hole. When she's talking to the dude later in his office, she has short sleeves, and you see the scars. There's no question of it. It's just there to prove that it actually happened. 
I'll be honest, I didn't even notice the scars. That's fine. That's fine. It was it was a it was a dumb thing to happen in the movie. Going back to Mia, I saw her in that movie Stoker. I don't Which remember Stoker. That. Uh I remember enjoying it. I don't remember the movie at all. I don't even know what this who else is in it. Now I'm gonna pull it that up. Uh riff for a bit. As I look through my notes, um, I thought Mia felt like uh, Ivana Lynch's Luna Lovegood without the fun parts. Um, about Nicole Kidman. Which one's Stoker? What year is that? Uh, 2013. Okay. I was following films during that. That's not... Huh. I didn't like the Tweedledee Tweedledum designs. Again, it comes down to it feels like the most basic versions of all these characters. But uh, uh, logistically, I felt like I could see where their face ended and the CGI began, and that just disturbed me. I did like um, Helena's larger head. That somehow never bothered me. I mean, I feel like that was the one design decision I liked. That's it. Yeah. Um, I, I like the different dresses she wore. Sure. Again, costumes were were nice. Academy Award winning. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a problem with those. I liked um, when Anne Hathaway's like making a, a cure or something for her when she first comes to her castle. And she's like, I'm going to put a little uragan in it. <laughs> like, that's a fun way of saying urine. Uh, uh, again, going back to the whole costume design thing. It it really felt like half this movie was just a big game of dress up, and like that's one of the few aspects I liked. <laughs> how do you, how do you, what do you mean game of dress up? Where it's just like oh we're done with that like uh, costume we're done with that piece now let's move on to the next one and like let's flaunt around in it a little bit. <laughs> it did bother me that when she changed sizes her clothes didn't. That's so you, that's how you decided. That's how you decided to realistically do this movie, did it? Like some, I guess. Like, yeah, yeah. At the beginning, there was like a smaller version of her dress within the dress. Yeah, and then when she becomes um, she's bigger. They get her bigger clothes, and then when she comes back to normal, she, there's no clothes change, right? Uh, I think there is. Oh wait, no. At the first point, there isn't, but then when she goes into the uh, White Queen's thing, there is another, there's a close there's another one? there. Okay, okay. Yes. I also just hated that, that fight. I, I feel like I've mentioned it a bunch of times. All right. Now, the let's action, talking on. about uh, designs that I did not like. Let's talk about the cards for a second. The I cards? hate that they, the cards. Okay. They weren't cards. They didn't act like cards. They didn't function like cards. I didn't like yeah. it. They were metal soldiers. I actually didn't mind the design, but it felt pointless to have the card design if you're not going to use that in any way. Except in the moment in the battle where they like knock down one, it'll knock down but a stack, again, and there's a house of cards that just fall. Again, the way those cards functioned in that moment, they weren't bending like no, cards. They that's what got me as well. Yeah. I, they, they didn't function like cards. No. But they look cool, right? No. no. Can we just talk? I really just want to talk about how bad that final fight sequence was. 
Go it was ahead. unexciting. She like dramatically counts down to her final blow by counting all the impossible things. And it doesn't even feel heroic when she gets down to six. Um, it cuts to just boring, bland kind of action. I don't understand how the Mad Hatter can kind of fight. Like that just doesn't make sense for the character or for any of those animals fighting in that So scene. in terms of the whole number counting not having any meaning... Obviously, it's a tie back to the whole idea that you can think of six impossible things before breakfast. Mm. But the thing is, this film has so many repetitive like lines or ideas that they all lose meaning. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it loses meaning. I think in the moment it loses it. I, I don't think it. I don't think it doesn't have meaning. It loses it in the moment. No, no, I feel like if there weren't that many repetitive ideas, it would have had a lot more power. Mm. Are you so? Are you saying are they repeating that specific moment too much, or there's different? uh, There's a lot of things that they keep repeating, such as the uh, off with her head. That's that's just a line. No, no, no. that's a catchphrase. I get that, but like. there was the thing where it's like all this, uh, all the best people are insane or whatever. There's that one, but that's connected to that. The the six again. I'm saying they are connected, but like because there's so many of them that have already gotten their resolution, this one feels like an extra one that's just there. I see what you're saying. I think they're the same thing, but I do see what you're saying. Again, they are it's, the it's same blow. thing. It's, it's the a, fact that one of them happened first, that one already had the meaning. You can't do it again with a different one and have the exact same impact. Okay. I, mean, I, I think I get what you know. I think I get what you know. And if I don't, I don't wanna, uh, want us to hammer in this one point for five minutes because we will. We yeah. will. I'll. Uh... Yeah, much like the movie itself. <laughs> yeah, what a disappointing movie. I wanted to like it. I did. I always. I mean, I would love, I would love to see an a live action Alice in Wonderland that is bright and uh, vibrant and like just lets. Basically, I want to see Alice in Wonderland by way of Oz the Great and Powerful. (laughs) I liked that movie. Hold on. When was the last (laughs) time you watched that movie? When it came uh, out? Yeah. Because I saw it when it came out and liked it too. That was a dark movie. That was not a bright movie. Okay, maybe not then. That uh, was completely in line with this movie. Okay. Uh, and what's another example? There is... Because again, and I didn't realize either, all the Disney live-action remakes are darker interpretations of the original movie. Darker, more mature. Because I think I said... I, I, I you you earlier were like yeah, there's a no, distinction there, there's between a the two. there are more mature versions but like to spoil Beauty and the Beast do you mind if I do this sure there's a moment where they talk about Belle's mom who died of the plague no no it's the Beast's mom Beast's mom dies of the plague or something and so there's a flashback and a song to explain why the Beast is sad and... Were there songs in this one? 
I mean, there's which, the dance sequence. Well, hold on. It's not even a sequence. It's like five minutes. No, it's like 20 seconds. And then there's the song at the end of the movie. Which is the end credits song, which yeah. was so off-putting. I think it's like you didn't feel empowered. <laughs> it's just I didn't think I didn't need a I think Avril Lavigne pop punk ballad to uplift me. See the thing is, while I was listening to that song, that like tune at the beginning, it was so memorable. But I don't remember what song it was. What do you mean at the beginning? At the beginning of the movie or the end credits? The at the beginning of the end credits song. Yeah, I think it's an Avril Lavigne song. No, no, I'm I'm saying that tune is familiar. And- not from this song. Oh, so they sampled something possibly. No, no, I mean in terms of the way she sings the line. Oh, it's very similar to something else you're saying. Yes. I see, I see. Is it similar? And I can't put my finger on which song it is. Does it go does the song go Life's like this? Chill out. What's you yelling for? Play back. It's all been done before. Was it complicated? No, it was not. It was not. You know what? Let's move on. Figure this out. I'd have to listen to it again to remember the. There was something else I wanted to bring up, but uh, I think that's it. I wish, I wish I enjoyed this movie more. Again, it was one thing that was weird is. One just another line I'll bring up on, the whole painting the roses red in the real world. Well, that's the very beginning. Yes, and I hate the beginning. They kept mentioning the stuff from the animated movie. I'm like, yes, oh, is this a sequel? <laughs> and they bring it back. I'm like, honestly, also. I f- I felt like they could have inversed the worlds and like that would have made a more interesting movie. Why not? Why not? <laughs> because like oh, honestly oh, the so real like, world felt more fantastical than Wonderland. Wait, so like the Smurfs you put the characters in the real world. See the thing is we have to acknowledge that the real world in this movie is not the real world. Whereas with the Smurfs it was a lot more grounded. Can I ask you with... Okay, I think I got... I put my finger on how... This is like a children's interpretation of a period piece. (laughs) That's the the real world in this movie. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And I think you can argue it's trying to parody and satire snobby British culture, but it's like... But it's When the rest of the movie is so bad. Yeah. But like, again, that's why... I wish the world were reversed and like I would love to see that movie. <laughs> because again, that's the childlike ideas really coming forth. Well, Braun, this seems like a change you might want to do to this movie. Oh, wow. I didn't actually even think about that. <laughs> because because this, is, this naturally came As up we've it. established, we're six weeks in. Lots of great films, Academy Award winning films, billion dollar grossing films, two two billion dollar grossing films. Very popular, very beloved. None of them perfect. Some even more not perfect than others. Yeah. Pink would not sing about these films. Pink would not say, you're fucking perfect to me. Oh. (laughs) I think for some reason, since we mentioned Avril Lavigne, my brain somehow jumped to the pink. Anyways. 
you know, I I don't think we've cursed at all in this episode yet until that moment. No, we I did. feel like we, we did. Ha- we no, we did. You did like five minutes into it. I was like, I thought we were trying to avoid these. Wait, what did I say? I don't know. You said it and it threw me off. Oh, okay. My bad. It's fine. <laughs> I, I list these as explicit in case. Okay. So you know we were what? saying <laughs> no film is perfect. Juan, mm-hmm. say Timmy B was like, yeah, I, I can't direct this movie. And you're like, yes, Timmy B, I know you can't direct this movie. <laughs> No offense to Bird. I, I, I respect you as a filmmaker. Listen, and you I don't know who chance. you are as a I don't know how you are as a person, Timmy B. I don't like your film sensibilities as a director. I'm sorry. You're sorry. And you're like, hey, let me uh grab the director chair, sit in it, grab my megaphone, and shout some stuff in the air. Mm-hmm. And uh, do a little changey changey to this film. Pawn, how would you change this film? Okay, so the one one path I would do that came up naturally in our discussion is just reversing the worlds, mm-hmm. having uh, the uh, children's version of uh, old British royalty be the Wonderland and have Wonderland be the real world. <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't have more on that yet. What was like, the one you planned on presenting today? Uh, so it, the other one is just a bunch of little changes. Like okay. instead of uh, the white queen, make it the black queen. Get Queen Latifah in there. She'd have, it would be fun. I didn't know you gave away your changes earlier. Yeah, I, I did for a good amount of them. Um, you know, get... Add some levity and some fun into this movie, mm-hmm. which is very sorely missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, it would fit the card aesthetic better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So much better. And also, fix fix the cards. Fix your cards. Yes, yes. Cards always need to fix your cards. And, uh, also, for the ending song. Oh. Uh, instead of that Avril Lavigne song, put in The Climb by Miley Cyrus. Miley Cyrus is The Climb. Of course. See, it aesthetically fits because to return to the real world, Alice has to climb out of the rabbit hole that she has dug herself in and like realize I am the Alice. I have to take care. I have to choose my destiny and go for these dreams that I'm dreaming. It is the climb. There's always going to be another rabbit hole. I'm always going to want to fall right through. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, you know what? I let's explore the Vorpal Sword more. Sure. Let's do it. Like sure. you know what? You want to make this? You want to make the sword this entity that like has its own like volition and its own nemesis mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. desires. Mm-hmm. Give me more of its history. I want to know about it. Is this a a a, a sequence in the film? Is yes. it a prequel? Is it a prologue? Is it a spin-off? Maybe the sword talks. Wow. And like it's like Alice, I've chosen you as the only one who could wield me in this circumstance. You know, Bon, some may think a talking sword is impossible, but that's one of my impossible thoughts for the day. There you go. <laughs> there you go. 
And uh, I, I think I rest my case. Well done. Well done. That was like some great uh, adjustments to the film. I will make sure Timmy B gets those notes 10 years after the film comes out. Now, Juan, you're going to hate me. Go ahead. I have to run to the bathroom right now. Can you vamp? Thank you. Goodbye. All right. Let's see what I could do, talk about with these ideas that I brought Way back. Up. All right. Let's talk about this Vorpal sword for a bit. I want to explore this idea a little bit deeper of uh, the sword having its own agency and being its own entity. So it would be interesting if in the movie when they're like, oh, Alice is the one holding the sword uh, during that final moment in the image on the scroll. It would be interesting if like maybe on the scroll, the sword is like slightly out of her hand and in the final moment, it turns out the sword has the sword is escaping Alice's grips because she hasn't come to terms with her. She's she's gone with the White Queen in terms of I don't want to kill anything. And like she had that at the beginning, which it's weird that it's okay for the White Queen to do that, but not Alice. But I digress. Um, it would be interesting if the Vorpal sword was like, I've had it. You know what? This Jabberwocky has been running shit for too long. It acts like it's the only thing that to have its own volition in this nemesis. This ain't one-sided, all right? I'm going to do it myself. And the, the sword just escapes out of her hand and then just chops off his head by itself. That would be interesting in terms of these items because, like, in the end, the reason why the Red Queen loses is because her army of cards have decided to abandon her. The cards which she used as a tool, uh-huh. much like the sword itself. Uh-huh, so, like, uh-huh. we could tie that into that as well. Great point. Well I was just expanding on my idea as tools, as the uh, real uh, masters of this universe. I see. I see. I see. Sounds like a great idea. I'm excited to hear more about this later on. <laughs> All right. So are you ready for how I would fix the film? Go ahead. All right, Timmy. Listen to me. Listen to me. So uh, I, uh, one of my big problems with this film is the final act. I hated the battle sequence. That was kind of random. Didn't fit tonally. Um, I don't like that she randomly knows how to fight now. That made no sense. It's the armor. So Again, the item deciding the fate. Here's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Start off, you know the scene where it's like her, uh, Alice and the Hatter on the, the balcony at night talking? Mm-hmm. I think there needs to be a training sequence. So they discuss, they discuss, discuss. She's like, I'm not ready. She's like, and then he's like, no, I'll make you ready. Training sequence, montage, go on. Right? Later on, jump to the battle sequence, right? So uh, uh, the, the Red Queen is like, and so, my Jabberwocky. Zzz. What? And so it's the weird kind oh, of... Of course. It's, it's the weird kind of go through with the forest, and you're like, what's going on? And then kind of like how the Cheshire cat will disappear out of nowhere. You see a, a white mask. It's the dance mask. Troop. Yeah. Yes, it's the, <laughs> the five or six Jabberwockies are there, and they come down to fight. Because what? It's a dance battle? Oh, my God. Yeah. See, the that's the other thing I was going to say. It's a dance battle. That's the thing and, I forgot. And he was training her not to fight with a sword, but wa- rather to do the flutter whacking. 
And so they do the foot whacking together, thus defeating the Jabberwockies and winning the battle in a dance battle. Adding some more whimsy, now it's part musical to win the Golden Globe that lost. And uh, it's not a terrible or the Rings ripoff. I'll be honest. I love that idea. And while I was watching this movie, I was like, you know what? It has the dance sequence at the end, but that's not how they solve the problems. It's not. Like, that's how, that's the staple of like the great children's movies that are made these days. Like, there's a dance sequence at the end of the movie that solves the problems. Yes. It's my, it's a staple of my favorite children movie endings. Um, Alice in Wonderland is not one of them. Uh, Hotel Transylvania 3. Hotel Transylvania 3. Um, this is the end. Jojo Rabbit. Those are kid movies, right? They end uh, with dancing. Wait, what's another one? I can't think of kids' movies that ends with dancing. I know you're right. Despicable Me? Yes. There you go. One of them does. I don't know if it was necessarily the first one. We will find out later on. Because we're going to watch three and Minions. But yeah, I think we've uh, established some great ways to fix this movie. I think some great ways. And if, uh, if you're... Yeah, maybe leave a comment in a YouTube video. Leave a review on your platform of streaming to tell us what your favorites are and how you would change the movie. Because everyone has ideas. Nothing's Listen, impossible. This podcast is a conversation. Mm-hmm. We're just broaching the topic. You can continue it if you'd like. Pawan, broaching, foppish. You're using some great words today. <laughs> well done. So, we've discussed how we feel about the film. But we all know, in terms of film analysis, subjective feelings don't matter. No. Not at all. Not it's at all about the objective facts. Yes, it is. So, it. now is the point in this podcast where we go to our objective ranking of all these movies. Yes, it is. Let me uh, do a little sherry of the screen. And uh, here we go. Let's- so, Masensen. Let's start off recapping the list, why don't we? At number 44, we have Avatar. 44 out of 47, we have Avatar. Um, Number 37, we got Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Number 32, we got The Dark Knight. Number 19, we have Titanic. And number three, we have Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Yep. So, Ms. Simpson. Yes, Bob. We both know, and for those that don't, uh, I was rather upset at uh, how much you seem to despise Avatar. Um, I wouldn't say despise. No, no, no. I I understand that it's the movie you think is the worst made film of all time. So I feel like it wouldn't be interesting if we judge the rest of these rankings based on how you feel about that movie right now. So. How are you hijacking this? Go on. <laughs> Let's go in a... Uh... Let's go in reverse order. Do you think this movie is better than Lord of the Rings Return of the King? No. Do you think this movie is better than Titanic? Wait, the first question, was it worse than Lord of the Rings? Oh, right. Do you think this is worse than... Yes, I think it's worse. Okay. Do you think it's worse than Titanic? Yes. Do you think it's worse than The Dark Knight? Yes. Do you think it's worse than Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest? Yes. 
Okay. Now we are working with the numbers 38 to 47. That's not how this works because I think no, it's worse than now Avatar it as well. No, because av- you, we, we know you can't that just you skip, think Avatar. You can't just skip. No, you cannot skip. Listen, this is my numbers. time. <laughs> no, you asked to take over this week. This is my time. You can't bend the rules that have been established like this. Listen, I'm doing this to make this list more interesting. If you want the peek behind the curtain, it will that's be interesting. What it, is. it will be interesting. Trust the science. I feel like it's more interesting if we have the final three spots in play still. It will be more interesting when movies we don't like are on top of the Avatar. Yeah, but I also like the idea of having the final three in play still. Maybe. The top three are empty. Yeah. Also, I'd like the top and bottom three in play. <laughs> well, that's not how it worked. Fine, you can't just skip Avatar. I mean, I had a system for how it was going to go around it, but whatever. By just ignoring that uh, that Avatar's on Fine. the list already? 45 to 47. What, th- what between these three numbers is it going to be? I'm sorry that we're following the math. It's not subjective. Subjective. No, no, no. You've already influenced it with your subjective opinions because you've ranked Avatar so low. Sorry. Sorry. You can let me have this. Because that's just not how the list works. You know I hate the Avatars this low. It pains me. It really does. All right. I appreciate you tried something. No, you don't. But um, <laughs> we'll, we'll get your opinion next week. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's just how, how the list works. I'm curious how next week it's going to work. You're, you're stoking some fires that I don't think you're going to like. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm waiting for the, I was waiting for when we start playing this strategically and lie about our personal opinions. <laughs> It's very easy to do. I mean, yeah, we're we're st- we're reaching that point because listen, yes, this isn't our subjective opinions. This is our objective opinions. So it doesn't matter what I like; it matters what's important for this list. Yes, and you know what? Now I'm getting into that headspace, Miss Simpson. You created this monster. <laughs> I'm I hope scared. you're happy about this. I'm afraid of the numbers <laughs> we're going to put into the number rankatron nine eight three. From now on. And cre- it's just remember, place. you created this. Yeah. So the ranking of Alice in Wonderland was number 46. To recap the list, Alice in Wonderland at 46. Um, it pains me to say Avatar at 44. Number 37, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Number 32, The Dark Knight. Number 19, Titanic. Which is my personal movie of the film of the films we've seen. So personal favorite movie of the, of film. the- <laughs> my personal movie because I made all this. It was favorite. the movie of the films. This is my personal favorite. And you don't see me complaining that it's it's only nineteen. Well, your yeah, personal favorite but is nine, number three. Nineteen isn't forty six. Your personal favorite is number three. Forty three. Avatar's not even your personal favorite. Listen, it's my second favorite of these movies so far. Okay, and the science says it's the fifth worst one we've seen so far. Yeah. We don't believe that. Science believes that. Yeah. 
and science is really gonna wreak havoc on your favorites. <laughs> Am I gonna cry on this podcast? <laughs> we'll find out. Well, that was the ranking for this week. That lady. Yeah, we ended on a. We're, we're we're ending on a very foreboding tone. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know we'd get this angry about science. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> but we did. Science is disputable. And, like, that's the only way we could move it forward. So thank you for listening <laughs> to this week's episode of the Billion Dollar Movie Club. I apologize if uh, we've unsettled you with our passion. <laughs> but we're passionate people. Join us next week on our discussion of Toy Story 3, another film on the Disney Plus streaming service. Um, shout out again, as usual, to Max Lissimacchio, who did the art that you must have seen by now uh, for this show. Any other shout outs you want to make, Juan? Um, I think I'm good. Um, let's give a shout out to... Uh... Let's go with Willem Let's Dafoe. Let's shout out the listeners. Yes. Thank, thank you for tuning in. Thank you. Every single one of you. Was there sarcasm in that? No, there is not. <laughs> okay. I'm just being very direct about these statements. I see, I see. Because, listen, without you, this discussion would die here. And that's not what this is for. I feel like you're still mad at me. Maybe. <laughs> Shout out to um, Letitia Wright. That's her name, right? From uh, Black Panther? Why not? She cool. Emmy Award nominee. Uh, okay, so let's, let's actually wrap this up. Is there anything you'd like to say, Miss Simpson? <laughs> I think that's just about it. Thank you for joining us and join us next week for Toy Story 3. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to see me try to figure out how to say this motherfucker's name. My name is Mia Vasikovska. Mia Vasikovska. Mia Vasikovska. Vasikovska. Mia Vasikovska. Mia Vasikovska. Mia Vasikovska. Mia Vasikovska. Mia Vasikovska. Mia Vasikovska. 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 Mia Vasikovska. Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia Vasikovska. Here we go again. Mia Vasikovska. Oh, I fucked it up. Mama Mia Vasakovska. Mama Mia Vasakovska. Mia Vasakovska. No, I need one more syllable. Mama Mia Vasakovska.